Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. We thank you for what you are doing in the hearts of your people. You are truly a God of salvation. You are a God that restores. You're a God that brings life. You enlighten our world. This morning, we just ask that you would continue to do so, that you would bring your revelation and your light into every dark corners of our minds, that you would soften any callous parts of our hearts, that uh, we would hear what the Spirit of the Lord would say to us individually this morning. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're still in death for selfie. Right? You remember last time? Last time we were together, we were talking about increasing the flow of God's grace in our lives. Because we need to understand grace and how important it is for the child of God. A lot of people do not understand that the kingdom of God works by grace. Grace is really anything that God has given or gives to humanity. There's a scripture that Jesus says that, you know, he's, or not, in, in the Old Testament that says, uh, he sends the rain on the just and the unjust. That's his grace. You know, rain is a good thing when you're a farmer, right? When you, if you live in a desert climate, when those rain clouds come, you rejoice. Farmers pray for rain. Amen? And he, what he's saying is, he sends his rain to the unjust and the just. God's grace is extended throughout the earth. Constantly. Just him giving us air to breathe is by his grace. You being put on this planet at this time it was by his grace. Salvation is by God's grace. His help in time of need is grace. His ability and strength is by his grace. His favor in life situation is by grace. Healing and divine health is by grace. We receive his wisdom by grace. We, re we open doors in divine orchestrated opportunities are by his grace. All the promises of God are provided by the grace of God. So today, we're going to dive in and see how the grace of God is supposed to flow, flow in our lives in a greater way. But first, let me take a selfie. So let's see here. So, and then we'll just put that on social media. We're talking about selfies, right? What should my tagline be today? How about when you go down? Grace can flow.
Grace. But what we need to understand about grace is grace is not a power. Grace is not some weird, magical dust that God sprinkles over us. Right? Grace is a person. This is what we need to understand. Grace is Jesus Christ. When you hear grace, you need to automatically hear Jesus. What is grace? Grace is anything that God has provided or gives to humanity. Jesus is grace. See, I don't preach grace. I don't preach grace. I preach Jesus. And there's a huge difference. Grace is just another name for him. For he is the provision and the provider. He is God full of grace and mercy. We receive more grace when we humble ourselves and become dependent on Christ. Instead of self-dependent. The reason people reject God is because of pride. We've seen that. Although the grace of God is available to them, it can't flow into their lives because they refuse to humble themselves. But unfortunately, Christians can be just as guilty when it comes to pride. It says the wicked in Psalms 10.4, the wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. What keeps people from seeking God? Pride. See, unfortunately, Christians are just as guilty when it comes to pride overriding the grace in their lives. We might humble ourselves to receive salvation, but then we live our lives full of pride. You understand that? To, to, to be born again, to be saved, you have to humble yourself. You have to say, God, I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough to save myself. There is nothing good within me. I humble myself and I ask for your mercy. I ask for your grace. I ask for Jesus to come into me by his spirit, and make me a new creation. That's his grace. And that's humility. But then we live our lives full of pride. We don't seek after God. We become content in our religion. Do you ever get to a place in life, have you ever been there, where, you know, you haven't grown in Christ in years? You're not seeking more of a revelation of Christ in you, the hope of glory. You become content with your religious routine. That's all pride. You are dependent on yourself. I'm all right. 
I'm good enough. I'm going to heaven. I'm cool. But it's filthy. It's disgusting pride. We are to grow up into the fullness of Christ. I got a question for you this morning. Do you, are you dependent on God's grace? Are you dependent on God's grace? And if I was to ask you right now, what are the things in your life that you are trusting God's grace to do? Would you have an answer? Or would you go, la, 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 la. What are you trusting God's grace to be doing in your life? What are you expecting? What, what, what have you humbled yourself in that you are dependent? If God doesn't come through, I'm going to fail. You see this? Do you see how we can receive salvation by grace, but then live a life totally self-sufficient? Until something comes in our life that we can't handle. Then we cry out for God. I got news for you. We can't handle any of it. A child of the king that is not operating in the grace of God is living way below their means. Truthfully, they are filled with pride, the pride of life and are completely self-centered, not Jesus-centered. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 5, it says, Everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. I've shared this last time when I shared this, that verse. Anyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. There's a lot of Christians that like to say that homosexuality is an abomination to the Lord. Well, I got news for you. There's a lot of Christians that are an abomination to the Lord. See, we see, we seen last time that Moses, Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth. In his generation, out of all those that lived during his time, he was the most humble man that there was. But he also accomplished more for God than any other man on the face of the earth. Moses, by humbling himself and allowing God to work through him, took down the greatest superpower of his day, Pharaoh and the nation of Egypt. Let's look at another great leader of the ancient world. One whose gardens were considered to be one of the seven wonders of ancient times. His name was Nebuchadnezzar. In Daniel chapter 4, verse 29, it says, Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. Can you picture him in his royal garments? Maybe a little eyeshadow under his eyes, a goatee, gold. And he's walking on the top of his roof. And the king reflected and said, Is this not Babylon? Babylon the great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by my might of my power and for the glory of of my majesty. Can you hear him saying that? 
Verse 31. While this word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared sovereignty has been removed from you. And you will be driven away from mankind. And your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You will be given grass to eat like, a, like cattle. And, <laughs> and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. Verse 33, immediately the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled and he was driven away from mankind and began eating grass like, like cattle and his body was drenched with dew of heaven and his hair had grown like eagle feathers and in his nails like bird's claws. Why can't Hollywood grab a hold of this story? This, this should be good. He went insane. God said, okay, Nebi, let me just take my grace from you and see what you are. That's what, without God's grace, that's what we would all be. He took his gra the grace away from him. Look at, look at how verse 34 continues. It continues to tell the story, but it's now transitioning into... Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar's telling his story. But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. At that time, my reason returned to me, and my majesty and splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom. And my counselors and my nobles began seeking me out. So I was reestablished in my sovereignty, and suppressing greatness was added to me. Question. This is Nebuchadnezzar's own words. He says that reason was restored to him. He understood after this period of time of, of, of being totally insane and out of his mind, God's grace came back into his life and he looked up to heaven and proclaimed glory to God. But then he goes on and says things like, my splendor, my majesty was restored to me for the glory of my kingdom. My sovereignty and suppressing greatness was added to me. Does it sound like pride was starting to take root again? It would if verse 37 did not follow. In verse 37 it says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are true and his ways are just, and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. We have to be very careful on who we say is prideful. Just because someone has confidence, just because someone is successful, just because a person talks in a way like we just read, 
I mean, that's not our vernacular today. We don't say my splendor and my majesty and, you know, my glory was returned to me. And we don't talk like that. But understand that God has no problem with men and women walking in majesty and splendor. That they would have glory of their kingdom. That they would be important and and so so much so that people would seek them out for their counsel. Nor does God mind that that we surpass in greatness and authority. He just has an issue with you believing that you did it in your own strength and independently from God's grace. Let's look at another great leader. The God-man, Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 25, it says, At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. If you think you're wise and intelligent when it comes to God, you're not going to get any revelation. God hides his revelation from the proud and he reveals them to infants, babes. What, what, what's, what's a characteristic of a baby, an infant? Dependence. They can't feed themselves. You got to carry them everywhere they go. They mess their pants and you got to change it. They're, they're, they're 100% dependent on their parents. And this is what God, what Jesus is saying. God hides things from those that are that are, are, are proud in themselves, that think that they are intelligent and that they are wise. And He reveals it to babes, to infants, those that are dependent on God. He goes on to say, "Yes, Father, for this way was well pleasing in Your sight." All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. You cannot have God revealed to you through Moses. You cannot have God revealed to you through the prophets. Those were shadows. It was looking through a glass darkly. Jesus says that the only way that you can know the Father is if he reveals him to you. And I'm not saying that the Old Testament, you, you can't have Jesus revealing the Father to you in the Old Testament. But we never independently get an image of God independent of Jesus Christ. Understand that? Verse 28, I love this. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus said, learn of me. Did you hear what Jesus, who Jesus said he was? Think about this. Of all the characteristics that Jesus could have said, he was like, 
What did he say? What did he want us to learn from him? He could have said, for I am powerful and I am mighty. Learn from me. He could, he could have said, but he didn't say that, did he? he? He could have said, I'm amazing. I'm righteous. I'm pure. I'm holy. Learn from me. But he didn't say that either. He could have said any array of things, but he didn't. He chose gentle and humble in heart. What is God like? He's gentle and humble in heart. Is that the God you know? Gentle and humble. We don't like these words. We don't like these words. It sounds like he's a pushover, doesn't it? It, sound, it sounds like, like someone's going to take advantage of him. The King, King James uses the words, I am meek and lowly in heart. That sounds like something we need deliverance from, doesn't it? Meek and lowly? No one wants to be meek and lowly. How twisted our thinking is. How unlike the mind of God. Holy Spirit, renew our minds. But Jesus said, Jesus said that he was meek, humble, and lowly in heart. What's the opposite of lowly in heart? The Bible calls it high-mindedness. And I believe that that's spoken pretty negative in the Bible. Much like haughtiness, pride, boastful, arrogance, vanity, and self-importance. But remember, do you remember that Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth? And he took down Pharaoh, which was just a type in shadow of what Jesus was to do. Egypt represents the kingdom of darkness. It rem- the, the, the children of Israel, the children of God, was in captivity, in slaves, in torment in Egypt. They worked by the sweat of their brow, with the crack of the whips, with Pharaoh as their sl- slave master. And Moses comes in, the most humble man on the face of the earth. He comes in with supernatural signs and wonders, with the mighty move of God. And he says, let my people go. And, and Pharaoh, in his pride, in his heart, rejects God's demand. So God does signs and wonders and brings chaos and calamity over all of Egypt. And finally, Pharaoh lets God's people go. And they walk into unto the promised land. And they get to the Red Sea, which is a type and shadow of baptism. And they go across on dry ground. But when the enemy tries to follow, the waters come through and destroy them. And they never have power over the children of God again. Do you understand that this is just a story? This is a type? This is a shadow? This really happened. But God orchestrated it so you would understand what the, the humble God did. He put on flesh. And he dwelt among us. He faced everything we faced. He faced temptations. He faced ridicule. Those that he created mocked him. 
He, he, he came to this world for a reason, because people were slaves to the kingdom of darkness. People were slaves and in torment and in chains to Satan, the God of this world. That prideful, lying spirit. And Jesus said, let my people go. And Jesus, through his own servant flesh, took in the sin of the world, went to hell, took the keys from that old serpent, the devil, and rose victoriously on the third day so that we can be free. He humbled himself and became obedient even unto death. In the garden, I know you've heard me say this before, but understand this. In the garden, when, when Peter grabbed out his sword and cut the servant's ear off, and Jesus said, put your sword away. Those that live by the sword will die by the sword. He says, do you not know? Do you not know that I could call 12 legions of angels? And what he was saying, in the Old Testament, one angel showed up and killed 144,000 men. What Jesus says, do you not know, Peter, that if I wanted to, I don't have to do any of this. I don't have to go to the cross. I could just call 12 legions of angels and wipe out all of humanity. I could wipe out all humanity. But he humbled himself. He loved us. He cared for us. And he went to the cross. Instead of wiping out humanity, he redeemed humanity. This isn't something we need deliverance from. This is something we need in a greater measure. We need to humble ourselves unto God. Jesus is no pushover. Humility is power under control. And Jesus had absolute power and he was in complete control. In the message translation of this scripture, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 and 29, he puts it this way. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Burnt out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn how to live lightly and freely. Jesus is showing us how to live in the kingdom. We live in the kingdom by following the unforced rhythms of grace. Have you ever been weary? Have you ever been weary? Have you ever been tired? Have you ever been worn out, exhausted, fatigued, drained, played out, burned out? I've heard pastors say they're burned out. 
Jesus says, come, learn from me. <laughs> Does your life ever feel like it's weighing you down, like it's a heavy load? Have you ever felt burdened or troubled? Then you need to learn from Jesus. You need to humble yourself to his grace. You need to repent from pride and self-centeredness and self-sufficiency and learn of him. We need to ask God to reveal pride in our lives. We need to identify it and stop yielding to it. Remember what Proverbs chapter 13.10 said? By pride comes nothing but strife. By pride comes nothing but strife. If you have strife in your life, there's only one source. It's pride. It's pride. All of this, all the issues in your life are attached to pride. Lord, we're asking you to show us pride in our lives because pride is the venom of the serpent. It's the language of the devil. It's, the, it's his nature. God hates pride. You think we should agree with him on that? Should we agree with God on the issue of pride? Should we hate pride? You want something to hate? There you go. Hate pride. You, you can be angry and sin not, but you just got to be angry with the right things. It's so funny, that scripture is so, one of, I think it might be one of the most misrepresented scriptures in the Bible. It says, be angry and sin not. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. And people say, well, that's talking about you need to forgive before it, it gets dark out. It's, you can angry, if, if, be angry, sin not, but, but make sure you ask for forgiveness before it gets dark out. Don't go to, you know, husbands and wife, don't go to bed mad at each other. That's a good thing. Don't go to bed mad at each other. It's good. Work it out before you go to bed. But if it gets to 2 o'clock in the morning and you've got to go to work in the morning, go to bed. It's not, it, it, this isn't talking about something God, that God's all right with you guys fighting all day long, but at night there's something he's got a problem with it. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about be angry. There is a righteous anger that you can have without sinning. And he says in that, in, in righteous anger, do not let the sun go down on that. Never stop being angry at injustice, unrighteousness. That's what he's saying. Never let your righteous anger go to sleep. Anyways, that was free. So we need to ask God to reveal pride in our lives. We've already heard today that when he starts doing it, what happens? Miracles start happening. Reconciliation starts happening. Redemption starts happening. But I just want to warn you, when he starts revealing it, it's not going to be very much fun. 
But if, we, if he never reveals it, we can never deal with it. And if we never deal with it, we'll never gr grow in his grace and ability. So say with me. God, let's try that again. Say with me. God, I ask you to reveal pride and self-centeredness in my life. Did you mean it? Now understand, as you start learning to identify pride in your life, you will start to see it in other people's lives too. But guess what? That's none of your business. That's none of your business. And this goes for double for married people. You are not the Holy Ghost police. You focus on yourself. You deal with yourself. See, pride gets angry when it's embarrassed. Pride is an interrupter. Pride is not a listener. Pride doesn't receive instruction or correction. Pride gets its feelings hurt easily and quickly. Pride gets angry easily and quickly. Pride is a coverer, a hider. Pride is a grudge holder and does not forgive. Pride tries, tries to impress other people but does not show impression. You ever meet those type of people? You get something, you get something new, and they're not impressed. Well, I'd, I'd get one of those, but I wouldn't waste my money on that. Or I was going to get that model, but who needed all those bells and whistles? I don't know. I, I can do just as good a job with, with my tools from Hobby, or Hobby, Hobby Lobby. Harbor Freight, I don't need those snap-on tools. Does it sound familiar? It's all pride. They, they take the snap-on tool in a second, and I don't even know tools. I thought you got them on Hobby Lobby. But, <laughs> but <laughs> what I understand is if you're going to use a tool once, you buy it at Harbor Freight. If you are going to use it multiple times, you, you buy yourself a good tool. That's, what I, that's, the, that's the advice that I was given. But you, we're just a bunch of liars. We're envious and, and, and full of pride. Acting like we're not impressed when we should be saying glory to God. Thank God. Isn't God good? Look what he did for you. He provided this for you. It's, it's so wonderful. You know, one day, I, I'd like to have one of those. And if God would do it for you, he'll do it for me. Wouldn't life be so great if that's how we reacted? Someone gets a new car. Wow, that is, this is nice. This is nice. A new home, whatever it may be, we, 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 we would rejoice and be glad, not be filled with pride. When you start seeing pride in your life, it will annoy you to no end, but, you will, but when you get set free from it and grace starts flowing and you start becoming more like Jesus, it is amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing how burdensome, how, it's, how much bondage pride is in your life. 
how, how liberating it is to not care. Not care what people think about you. Not care about anything. Not care about who's succeeding in life and what, what someone got and you didn't get and blah, 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 and blah, blah. And just say, who cares? Rejoice. God's, God's my provider. God takes care of my needs. His grace is flowing. Grace flows like water. Do you know that? Grace flows like water. It flows downhill. It flows to the lowest place. If you are haughty, if you're high-minded, it's not going to flow to you. But if you will go low, God will take you high. Isn't that what he promises in James? Humble yourself, and in due season, he will lift you up. Can I have the worship team come up? Understand something. You can't have any more faith. This is important. I've said this almost in every single message. You cannot have any more faith than you have humility. You cannot have any more faith than you have humility. We need to be careful on how we talk about faith. Our Christian language and lingo. We say things like, well, how'd you do, how'd that happen? You're like, oh, I believe for it. Really? I mean, that sounds right. I believe for it. I believe God for it. Really? Is that really true? How did you get that car? How did you get the house? How did you get the healing? How did you get your deliverance? The opportunity, how did that come about? I believe for it. Well, let's take a look at that statement. How did you believe for it? Well, by faith. Well, how did you get your faith? By hearing God's word. Well, how did you get God's word? Well, God sent it to us, and he revealed it to us. When the faith came to the word, where did that come from? That came from Jesus. It was a measure of his faith that he gave us. When you became weary and needed encouragement, in other words, to strengthen you, where did that come from? Well, that came from the Holy Spirit and other people that were moved by the Spirit to, to encourage and uplift me. And when it finally manifests, where did the resources that caused it to come? Where'd that come from? Well, that came from God, too. He did it. So it was God's faith. It was his grace. It was his word. It was his sustaining. He supplied the resources. And we don't even mention God. We just say, I believe for it. When we do this, we, people, we leave people impressed with us and our great faith and not in our great God. Plus, people walk away thinking, well, that could never happen in my life because I don't have faith like that. They don't feel like they have faith. And the enemy can come in and talk them right out of believing for their miracle. But 
when we put the emphasis on Jesus, his grace and what he did, the spirit of God then immediately has access to tell them, and God will do it for you. He is not a respecter of persons. God will do the exact same thing for them. Because it wasn't by our strength. It wasn't by our faith. It was by the grace of God. It was supplied by Mr. Grace himself, Jesus Christ. You have the same God. You have the same source of grace. You have the same word. And you have like precious faith. So when we testify what God has done in our lives, it should never intimidate, intimidate people. Nor should it cause people to think that we are something. It should magnify Jesus. And when we magnify Jesus, it opens up the door for his grace to flow into the hearer's ears just like it did in ours. It will inspire people. Without him, we are nothing. Even those that deny him don't realize that without him, they are nothing. Without him, we are nothing. He did it. Jesus did it. Jesus did it all. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. You've been listening to a message from Karis New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.karisntc.org. And remember, you are deeply loved, highly favored, and destined to reign in Christ Jesus.